Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mindfulness Monday, December 21st. During this very stress stressful time dealing with a global pandemic, I can't think of a more helpful and beneficial way to ease things like anxiety, depression, overwhelming negative thoughts, high blood pressure, sleepless nights, and everything else you can think of that might be troubling you emotionally than meditation. It's an incredibly powerful tool we can all benefit from. Taking up the practice myself over 35 years ago when I needed something to help me with stress and anxiety, once I felt that grounding, calming effect, it immediately gave me, that was it, I was hooked. But meditation isn't a one size fits all practice. As a matter of fact, some people feel they have to meditate, sit, chant, or literally look a certain way in order to feel the calmness I'm talking about. And that is simply not true, which is exactly what we're gonna talk about today with my special guest. Let me tell you a little bit about him. From growing up with gunshot holes outside of his bedroom window, to sharing the stage with Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra, Justin Michael Williams knows well the power of healing to overcome. He is an author, transformational speaker, and top 20 recording artist who has been featured by the Wall Street Journal, Grammy.com, Yoga Journal, Billboard.com, The Root, and SXSW. With his groundbreaking new book, Stay Woke, and over a decade of teaching experience, Justin has become a pioneering voice for diversity and inclusion in wellness. Welcome to Mindfulness Monday, Justin. Oh, Aura, thank you so much for having me. It's it's really an honor to, to be here in your presence and with the whole community, so thank you. Thank you, I am so looking forward to talking to you about you, your story, your amazing, revolutionary book. But first of all, I want to say that, as I mentioned to you earlier, I love seeing that you studied with author and meditation teacher Lauren Roche, who's a friend and has been on Mindfulness Monday. And when I read that the type of meditation you teach is not, as you say, your typical hippie types of meditation, I was quite pleased. I thought, <laughs> I think we have plenty of teachers doing that. So I was like, oh, this is so exciting that that Justin has literally taken this journey and found his own truth around meditation. So tell our listeners a little bit about your background and why you sought meditation out on your path. Yeah, you know, it's in and and this the the level of this story you you won't find in this in this way in the book. Um, and so I I love that you start there and ask that aura because um, you know you mentioned in my bio. And it's so interesting every time I hear it, it, like I, my muscles get a little tighter when, you know, like growing up in a home with gunshot holes outside my house, like literally holes on, on my home and domestic violence and alcoholism and, you know, emotional abuse. And I was hiding in the closet and just so many things, you know, and one of the things that I love that Marianne Williamson always says is, you know, a lot of the studies are showing that kids today a lot of kids, especially students of color, are growing up with a level of PTSD that's similar to returning war veterans coming back from the war. And, but there's nothing like P or post about it when it's like day in and day out and day in. And that is, 
you know, in hindsight, realizing that was the, the conditioning and the condition that I grew up in. And so I say all of that to say that, you know, when you grow up with any kind of conditioning or trauma, regardless of how bad it is or how much money you grew up with or what privilege you had or not, we all adapt. And my adaptation was one of the ones that I think a lot of people here will relate to. I had the adaptation that looked healthy on the outside, but just had like such a big shadow. And it was the adaptation that if I just do enough, if I just accomplish enough, if I just succeed enough, if I just overachieve enough, I call it chronic overachieving, then like maybe I'll finally be loved. Like maybe I'll finally be enough. And I'm, you know, I know you know, and we all know like that big shadow of that is just our self-worth and our validation and our external accomplishments get so intertwined that like who, we don't know who we are, you know, outside of what we do. And so I tell you all of that to say that like, fast forward, I, I check every box that was expected of me to check and more like graduated the top of my class, full ride academic scholarship to UCLA. I get to LA, I have extra money. I come out of the closet. Like I start a marketing company while I was 20 years old, like all this stuff. And I had this moment sitting on my dorm room floor where I literally looked in the mirror, struggling with an eating disorder at the time. And I said to myself, how is it that I've checked every single box and I'm still miserable? Like, what is the, what is there? Like, you know, and I just like went into this crazy depression and, and the eating disorder, that's really where that came from. I think I was trying to figure out like, what's wrong? Like I have to control something, you know, and for context, like you never tell on these Facebook live, but like I weigh, I mean, I'm about six feet tall. I weigh about 165. I weighed 115 at the end of my freshman year of wow. college. Wow. wow. And so, you know, I share all of that to say that we all have these moments where I think we're trying to manipulate or change our external circumstances, hoping that it will finally make us happy you know within and so when i was 19 i'm 32 now almost 33 in february pisces and i um <laughs> one of my sons is pisces my mom's a pisces great ah, 222 <laughs> is me so i um <laughs> so so anyway i um i go to therapy because i didn't know what else and it was so taboo then like for black people to be in therapy it was like a huge secret i didn't tell anyone in my family and the therapist says to me, you should try meditation. And I look at this old white man, literally therapist, and I go, meta what? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, isn't that that thing where they worship all those statues with all those arms? Like what, <laughs> you know, like, isn't that worshiping the devil? And he says to me, you know, no, you know, he says, this is a practice that will help you accomplish what it is that you're looking for. And it sounds like for your whole life, all you've been taught to do based on your trauma, based on your upbringing, is to try to find happiness by doing, to try to find happiness by outside of yourself. It's time that you learn to find your happiness within. And that set me on this pathway 
like I had never even heard that before. Like within, I was like, where? You know, like Oprah hadn't done a meditation challenge yet. I didn't know any black people meditating. Like I didn't know the, it wasn't, you know, in pop culture the way that it is now. And so um, that set me on the path. And fast forward, I end up meeting Lauren and that's a whole story of its own, like how I ended up becoming a teacher. But, you know, it um, ultimately Lauren, when we met, he just met me and he said to me, quite frankly, or he said, in all my years of teaching, I met Lauren when I was 20. Um, he said, I've never seen someone who looks like you and who's gone through what you've gone through, who's been interested in teaching this practice. And one day, he said, one day, I think there will be people who need to hear your voice who don't need to hear mine. And so he was like, if you want to learn, I'll teach you everything I know. And so that happened. And like, I apprenticed with him for many years, helped him build, helped him build his first teacher training program. Then I started teaching and then now the book and like, you know, 15 years later, here we are. <laughs> you know, so. what, a, what an amazing trajectory that you were on. You know, so many things come to mind. I mean, like you, I do believe that we are, you know, there's that saying, obviously, when, when you're ready, the teacher will appear. I don't think it's just the teacher in the context of, yes, there are teachers, of course, but there's many teachings, do you know? And I believe in divine providence. I was a young actress also in my 20s. I didn't know anybody that meditated, not one person. And I was led to transcendental meditation. Wow. Was, you know, as an actress, it was stressful. And so I think that for those of us that find ourselves open to what the universe is ready to bring us, it's an incredible gift. I don't take any of it for granted. I think that it really is a great opportunity. And there's a reason why. I don't think we would be doing the work that we are doing today if we weren't open somewhere, even in the unfamiliar, like yeah. you said, you know, what's within, what's the journey within, do you know? And as you know, Justin, now having been on such a path of awakening, that the journey within is the journey. <laughs> it is the journey. Like, you know, this journey without that we all think like that's the journey. The journey without will only keep you out. Yeah. <laughs> it will not bring you in. You have to really kind of drop into the you know, the, the spiraling down in order to realize that all that external isn't really at all bringing you the peace and serenity that yeah. you're looking for, do you know? So I want to I wanna also really acknowledge your grandmother, your Baca, as you called her, because I, I loved when you shared that. I, lo I love the expression on your face when I just said that, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You went into that deep place in your heart of tremendous love for her, it's quite obvious and how she had a, perfect, a profound effect on your life. Another, another person on the path of awakening who share, share a little bit with our listeners about her and what yeah. she said to you. I thought it was really quite beautiful. Yeah, so, ah, thank you. I just love telling the story so much. Um, so, cause it just brings her like right there, you know, for me. So my, my Baca, who's my grandmother, um, Several years ago, she got diagnosed with stage four cancer and the doctors told her she only had a couple months to live. And she was 67, seemingly healthy, like huge shock, huge, huge, huge shock to our family. It was totally unexpected. And when this happened, I flew home from LA to the Bay Area where I'm from. I'm um, from a little town in the East Bay called Pittsburgh, California, Pittsburgh. And um, I walk in the door and my whole family's in the house 
and she tells everybody like she, she actually like kind of secretly pulls me in without anybody knowing and she's like Shh, and pulls me back into her room and she literally sat me down and asked me a question that changed the trajectory of my whole life she looked at me and she said if you were in my shoes and you knew you were going to die in two months what would you do and i'm looking at her like what like you, I'm like I'm like just with my suitcase like what are you even talking about I'm like thinking I'm not dying you're dying I mean I am dying but slower than you I hope you know and like like what is go even going on and she just what she actually said or what you'll love is she says get quiet get still close your eyes do that meditation thing you're always talking about and then what she said was and don't you open your lips until you're ready to tell me the truth and so I just sat and I closed my eyes and it was, it was like, she called me all the way in. Like, and I think I was so cracked open already from the news and everything that I was in that raw, just very raw place where there was the guards were kind of down, you know, and I felt this well of emotion come up and I just blurted out before I could even think about it. I just said, I would quit everything that I'm doing. And I would record an album, I would do music, I would stop hiding myself, and I would live in my real authentic truth. I would travel, I would speak, I would teach, I would stop hiding behind the scenes, which is what I was doing. And the truth is, you know, I had always wanted to do music ever since I was a little kid. I'd always wanted to speak and, and be on stage and, and do these things, but I never thought I was good enough. You know, I let all the kids who tease me at school about being gay, about being different, make me think I sucked at everything and I stopped myself. And I think we all have these things. Like we all have these dreams and ideas, whether it's about our body or our money or our art or our career or our relationships or whatever that we think are not for us because it's like, oh, you waited too long or you're too fat or you're too old or you're too ugly or you should have done it before you had kids or you haven't studied that or it's too late, you know? And so, when my grandmother asked me this question, it woke that thing up. Like it just, it didn't just wake it up. Like it was like, if it was a little spark, it just went, you know, like blazing. Like I couldn't hide from it anymore. And she just made me look her in the eyes and she said, promise me, promise me, no matter what, that you'll do it. Just look me in the eyes and promise me you'll do it. Mm -hmm. And I did. And because you don't break promises to Baca, <laughs> you, know. Yeah, she, you know, she really, you know, I love that Thich Nhat Hanh uh, quote, we're all walking ourselves back home again. And she really helped you, you know, walk back home to yourself. And, you know, authenticity resonates deeply for me. I have a book called um, Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity. So when I hear that somebody really drops into the authentic self, I think, boy, once you drop into that, you can't, you know, you can't zip that up again. No, you can't unsee it. You it's like, cannot unsee it. It has been revealed to you. Now yeah. you have a choice and people do, they, they can walk away from the authentic self and then run away from who you truly are. But as I say, it's a lot harder to be who we're not than yeah. who we are, do you know? Yeah. So, and that's the thing, you know, people like everyone around me, when I tell you, and this is why I teach meditation, like this is the real reason why I teach meditation. Because everyone around me, 
everyone told me I was crazy for giving up the life that I had to go after what I had called my dream. Like contextually, you know, like I grew up in the hood, went to college, started a marketing company, had an office with five employees in Santa Monica on the promenade making six figures at 23. And, and so, and for, for a lot of people, right? Like that was the dream. Like I had did, I did it, you know? And for me to close my office, pack up my apartment into a storage unit, move to New York, none of this really, which is in the book, and like start going after my dream of being an artist, of teaching, of speaking, of showing up. Everyone in my life, my parents, everybody, except for Lauren, but everybody told me, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? But because I had my practice, I was able to listen to the real core truth, to that voice that was inside of me that knew. I knew, you know? And so I think if we don't have that listening practice, like my favorite quote in the book, which I think people have said in many different ways is, you know, prayers when you talk to your source of higher power and meditation is when you listen to the messages coming back to you. And if we don't have that listening practice, then we're trusting what everybody else thinks is the best move for our lives. And so all the benefits of meditation I love, but like my favorite benefit is like that connection with like that thing, that truth that's guiding you in the direction that you're supposed to go in. And so when my album ended up charting in the top 20, as an independent artist, first album, nope, you know, everybody was like, what? And I, and I was in shock, but I also was like, yeah, because what you said, it, you just said that, that made me think of this is, it's easier to be yourself than to be somebody you're not. And the universe opens up for you to be the real you. It is, it's a tremendous amount of work to be who we're not. I mean, think yeah. And I think that why so many people that have lived that way to, you know, not to no fault of theirs, you know, whether you're hiding or you're, you're withholding or you're pretending that you're someone that you're not. And then finally you come out, literally, if you come out as you did, and then as people do today, and we're seeing more and more of that today, how people are dismayed and felt very misled because you weren't who you really are. And suddenly you're saying, but this is who I really am. And it's really sad to think of how many people turn against those. Like they've deliberately tried to deceive you when in fact they were afraid to be the authentic self. Yeah. You, know, you, have, you have to have nothing but compassion for those that are ready at any time that they are ready to do so, to come forward and say, this is who I am. Yeah. This is who I am, do you know? And may more and more people on this planet continue to do that. Amen, so it know? is, yeah. So, Justin, you say that your book will pinpoint the wound for people who have felt wounded, not good enough, silenced or marginalized. I think most people seek out meditation, as we know, for reasons like, oh, I can't, you know, anxiety or stress or I want to stop my thoughts. But you're focusing also on those that are needing much more than that and believe that meditation can help with much deeper issues. Let's talk a little bit about that. I want to demythicize the whole notion of what meditation is to a lot of people. And your book is, you know, very uh, courageous in that you're saying, uh, no, 
It's mm-hmm. not about all the things you think it is. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, one of my favorite quotes from the book that I have on the back cover of the book is, if you can worry, you can meditate. I love that. I, <laughs> I have that to ask you next, but go, go for it. I love yeah, it. I mean, it's just going with what you're saying. There's just so many ridiculous misconceptions about what we think meditation is. And then what happens when we sit down to do any of these practices, and this is one that you know Lauren says all the time, is like, I have the gift of you know being a young gay black dude who like talks very casually and teaches meditation that people just are really honest with me. And so I ask people, you know, how are your practices? And this is everybody in the room at a big conference or whatever, like, oh, I meditate, I love it, I this, I that. And I'm like, okay, so how many of you actually when you're meditating, what's happening is you're really just beating yourself up in your head the whole time because you're trying to stop thinking and you can't stop thinking and you're thinking about this and you're trying to hold on to peace and you know this whole thing and then feeling like you're doing it wrong. And it's the difference between being somebody who is trying to meditate versus actually meditating, you know? And, and so, I mean, and you know this better than anyone. And so it, it just is for me, when meditation, when we place relaxation as like the focus point, what happens is you leave so many people out of the equation because for so many of us relaxing not that it's not important of course it's important but it's not like on the top of the priority list for a lot of people you know and also that's not going to be the entry point for a lot of people and so what i say is that meditation isn't about relaxing it's about becoming more alive and so what do we have to do to sit in these practices that will actually help us become not disconnected from our thoughts and disconnected from our emotions, but more connected to the real truth and authenticity of who we are. And that's the kind of practice that I like to teach. Absolutely. And you know, the whole idea of stopping your thoughts, you know, uh, my first book says who, which is a cognitive method for transforming negative and fear-based thoughts. I say in the book, we think between 40 and 70,000 thoughts a day. And what are the thoughts that usually get our attention? The ones that are loudest in our mind. So imagine sitting in meditation when you've got this incredibly active thinking mind and this whole notion that like, well, I got to stop my thoughts, you know, and then people judge themselves if they can. It's a very unnatural way in which to sit and hope to maybe understand what the thinking mind has to tell you. Do you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of this is wonderful that you're doing that you that you brought this book forward because I think it is much needed. And you know, you also say that you've been on a mission to take meditation out of the spiritual echo chamber. Love that. And bring it to everyday people like you and me. You say you started asking big questions like, how does meditation loosen the grips of our toxic habits, especially when it comes to things like porn? drugs, alcohol, social media, sex, and the incessant need for validation that you talked about that you were struggling with early on, I would describe that what came to mind to me is like, oh, that's like Om meets the shadow. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, he so gets this. Taking a practice that calms you down by facing the things that do the complete opposite of that. You have such a wide range of areas, Justin, where you feel meditation can be addressed. That is really unique in itself. Do you know? Mm. 
It really is. It's like saying, wait a minute, that we've got a whole range here of addressing meditation to those that, you know, you know, talk about wanting to wanting to be comfortable with, the, with what's uncomfortable. You talk about porn, drugs, alcohol, you know, th this is epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that happens is we like to put these things into these like disintegrated categories in our lives. Like here's the part of me that meditates in the morning. Right. And then there's this whole other part of me that's like completely disconnected from all of this, where I'm a hot mess in this other area of my life. But we're like very seldomly taught how to bring the loving, mindful awareness to even those things, like how to help us, us to move closer to them. And one of the things that feels really important to me, like somebody had asked me, you know, in your next book, like what is something that you would really focus on? Or if you could go back and stay woke and like include more of something, what would it be? And I include plenty of this in Stay Woke, but what I would dig into a little bit deeper is when people are thinking about their growth, we often in the spiritual community are very, very comfortable thinking about building our light right? Like the thinking positive and the meditating and the podcasts and the reading and the courses and like think all the thinking positive work. But the other 50% of your growth is your shadow. Completely. Is working on the shadow. And like people miss that part. And what I tell people is what it's like doing if you're just doing the positive thinking and the building your light without working on what's in your shadow is it's literally like trying to move forward and having your foot pressing full throttle on the gas, which is your light, but then having your foot fully pressed on the brake at the same time, you know? And this is why we could do so much personal growth work, be so busy, take so many yoga classes, listen to so many podcasts and be stuck in the same damn spot. Completely. You I mean, so. they're not mutually exclusive. You, no. can, you can meditate, you can, you know, be a light worker. You could do all this great stuff about the light and the transcendence and transformation. You know, I love that um, description. I believe it was Gurdjieff, the mystic philosopher Gurdjieff that said that we are the lamb and we are the fox. Mm. And I also love the Walt Whitman quote, um, I am large, I contain multitudes. Do I contradict myself? Yes, I contradict myself. We have many aspects of who we are and they are to be embraced. They are not to be yeah. hidden again and denied and pretended that we're not. And the sooner we own it, the sooner we go, yeah, I am full of contradictions and I wanna own that about myself. And wanna, I wanna explore all of that. You're absolutely right. That's the real inner work. You can be a meditator just fine, but if you're not if you're not tending to the shadow aspects of the psyche, then you know what? You'll be a pretty good meditator with a shadow that's going untended to. Yeah, which then what happens in your life? Which what then means, you know, I say in the book, it's like watering a garden full of weeds and expecting roses to bloom. Like, you know, I think people who are meditating and not doing the practical actionable shadow step work. It's just total spiritual bypass. And then you end up, it, it, the trauma and all of it, nothing heals, nothing actually heals. It just has to keep going. Yes, and then, and then what you can experience, Justin, is really what you described in the very beginning. So you become maybe perhaps a really good meditator, do you know, but that there's, something's, there's something missing and you don't quite know what it is. Yeah. So you're really replacing, it is spiritual bypassing because you're replacing something with something that seems more all, you know, rather 
righteous, if you will. Oh, yeah. but at least I'm a good meditator, but I'm, I'm in denial about other things. Let's talk about wokeness or mm. staying woke, as you say. I think you got to get woke to stay woke. Yes. Wouldn't you say? Yes, ma'am. So explain to our readers what that means to you. Mm, this is so important. Ah, I'm so glad you asked me this. It's so funny. So you'd be shocked how few people ask this question considering the title of the book, Stay Woke. Um, and so first of all, the reason the book is called Stay Woke, obviously it has this, you know, play on, it's not like the word woke, I'll just start here. The word woke, you know, is a word that has become popular as of late, but is not a new word. Like the word actually dates back to the 1960s with African-American people in on the East Coast who used the word woke in the community to say, hey, like pay attention, stay awake to the things that are happening in the world that are trying to trick you and perceive and make you perceive that it, the world is something that it's not. Like there are forces, the system is against, you know, against us with a lot of things happening with police. Quite frankly, a lot of the same things we're fighting for today. And the word woke was used in the community all the way since the 60s. And then now it's like a popular hashtag, you know, and and so I wanted to reclaim this word because it's woke is not a throwaway word. It's not one that we can get rid of. And this idea of stay woke, the reason that's important is because you don't get woke and then you're done. It's not like, okay, I'm woke now, you know, like all finished. <laughs> it's yeah. like how do we continue to stay in the practice of awakening constantly to stay woke to what's happening in our lives and in the world so that we can show up for both more fully right and then you know for me as a mindfulness practitioner that's when the awareness of mm -hmm. our wokeness really comes into play it's yeah. like how woke do you think you really are you know it's like you have to completely refine the everyday practice of heightening awareness so that you can become more aware which is really the essence of wokeness do you know yeah. and that is a daily practice we are awakening yeah. a little bit each day each moment so i love that whole breakdown of, of you know what it means to not just be woke but to stay woke do you know and to stay woke consciously yeah to choose it absolutely choose it. love that Talk to our listeners about um, setting intentions. You know, no, you say nobody tells you about setting intentions. You really, you take a deep dive into some wonderful areas that I think are, are very illuminating and fresh. So tell us about setting intentions and the way you see it. Oh, I love this. So, you know, I get pretty, so what people will be surprised to know about me is like, I'm half woo woo and like half science nerd. And so like, I- You are I, so adorable. Can we just say how adorable this <laughs> And I really love like geeking out a little bit on the science. And in this section, I do geek out on, on the science of intentions quite a bit. Um, and I won't bore everybody with the science here, but what I'll say is this, you know, when we talk about setting intentions, one of, well, actually, let me back up. One of the things that's happening in the world right now in this era that we're all in is there are all these laws, right? Spiritual laws, constitutional laws, like laws of the land that are needing amendments, that are needing to be rewritten, to be more inclusive of 
real people and what's happening in real people's lives. And one of the first laws of the universe that I remember learning when I first came into the spiritual wellness community, when I was like the only black person doing yoga in all of Santa Monica, you know what I mean? Like 18 years ago at this point when I started. And, you know, I remember everybody saying, your thoughts create your reality. And I, I hear this, right? And I think that people call this a law of the universe as it relates to setting intentions and how we're manifesting what we're doing. And I think it's important for us to consider like who created that law, just like many laws of the world right now. And so when you look at when like the human potential movement was even becoming a thing in the United States in the way that it is now. We like can rewind back to the 1960s, right? And we look at the 1960s and we see two very big, when you say 1960, you think of a couple big things happening. And one of them, right, is a civil rights movement era, like a literally complete changeover of what's happening in the United States. At the same time, you have a specific group of people, particularly white men with a certain level of privilege who are able at that moment in time to like escape and say, I'm just gonna leave this and like go to a retreat center like Esalen or wherever, which I love all of those places and say that as long as I'm good here in this body and my thoughts are good, then like my thoughts can create my reality and like nothing else matters. And I think for a certain demographic of people that could work. But the thing that I offer to people is your thoughts influence your reality, they don't create it. What creates your reality is the actions that come from those thoughts. And yes, we have to get our thoughts together as terms of when we're setting intentions and manifesting, but ultimately it's about action because like when you say, and this is why people don't realize how come sometimes when you're trying to teach meditation or mindfulness or personal growth work to people of color, for example, they kind of roll their eyes and like look the other direction because how do you say your thoughts create your reality to the hundreds of children who are separated from their families forever at the border? Whose thoughts created, did their thoughts create that? How do you say your thoughts created your reality to an African-American man who actually did nothing wrong at all, but then gets shot by the police for getting pulled over for no reason? Like, do you say, well, your thoughts created that? And so what happens is, this concept of your thoughts creating your reality becomes weaponized actually. And it makes people think that if they're having these certain things that are systemic or that are happening because we're actually all co-creating this life together in both thoughts and action, they then think, well, if this is happening, then like something must be wrong with me and I must be creating this. Right. And so I like to differentiate that for people and say, the adjustment is your thoughts influence your reality, but we're not in a silo. We're not in a bubble. We're co-creating this web of reality together, just like we've all seen with this pandemic. Right. And so we're all affecting one another. And so when it comes to your intention and what it is that you're intending to do, for me, it always comes back to this as you're creating a vision for your life, as you're setting the intention for your life, it's not about the vision or the intention coming true exactly as you see it. It's about who you become in pursuit 
of that intention and of that vision. And so there's this becoming that happens as we're moving towards those intentions. And we know that there's so many things that come in from the outside, from other people's intentions that integrate and, and relate to ours. So anyway, I can go on yes, forever yeah. on this, but I'll stop there. Yeah, no, I mean, I understand the explanation and I think it's taking it beyond the notion of sort of a fait accompli that your thoughts create your reality. I think that could be very misleading. Mm -hmm. I, my work is based on transformational thinking. So the way in which I offer that up is that, that we can change our thoughts that can help change the outcome. Of course. It, it's not that those that have suffered or have been victimized or preyed on, that they have, they have the control there because clearly they don't. I think that no matter what anybody goes through, they will always have an opportunity not to be defeated, yeah. not to feel that there is something inherently wrong with them, not to feel as if their souls have been annihilated, that no matter how low you go, there is always a point where you can start to return and rise. Yeah. And that's where the working with our thoughts really comes into play for me personally. I agree a thousand percent. You know, that's where yeah. I can really discern between, yes, you know, we, we have these sayings and these slogans and these sort of spiritual, you know, op phrases, if you will, um, you know, thoughts, you know, yes, it has been said, I didn't hang out with the Buddha. So I don't really know exactly what he said verbatim. <laughs> Quotes have come down the pike, you know, and have been passed down, like almost like telephone by the time I hear it. And by the time you hear it, maybe that's not at all what Buddha said. Yeah. <laughs> that was certainty doing but we can look at a lot of these beautiful quotes that have touched us and moved us and inspired us and say something like thoughts become things thoughts become reality and we can take that and interpret it as we choose to that it really rings authentic to us true yeah you know? yeah and i think i think what you're saying so I want to say that I'm not saying that everybody who says your thoughts create reality is wrong. I'm saying there's an and, and the, the piece and. Of, yeah, there, it, it's an and, and there's a more, there's the way that I've described it is like, not that these laws are wrong. It's that these laws need an amendment. They just need a slight amendment and, and a more inclusive amendment. And the, the truth is of what you're saying that feels so important to me is no matter what does occur and manifest in your life, it is up to us to create meaning from those things and to see how the thoughts that we have from those moments and the thoughts that we're having even before them, how we're choosing to show up in those moments based upon our thoughts. And so I love that because I agree that the power of our thoughts is essential and important and we're in relationship to everyone and everything. Absolutely. And yeah. somebody who has been so marginalized and so sabotaged and not been given a fair chance at all. And for them, I mean, we have many heroes that have shown the way. Martin Luther okay. King, do you know, and, and to name just one person who was always speaking about rising, do you know, yeah. rising, no matter how low we have something in our soul and nobody can take that away from us. And I'm really, I'm cheering people on and saying, you can go deep within yourself and say, I will not be kept down. I will not be defeated. That's my reality. That's the reality I want to manifest. And I will align my thoughts to support that Amen. no matter what anybody tries to do to me. Do you Amen. know? 
I'm with so you. So I think I think you are the and that you're proposing. We're joining together with that and. And what a beautiful thing you brought forward with an and. Thank you. you. Know? So yeah. we, couldn't even be, we couldn't even be growing this thought if we No, that. and that's what the world I think needs more of right now. Like we're so used to being in an either or context and right. we're needing a both and context exactly. more and more and more. Beautifully said. Okay, I see the time flying by. Wow, that. wow, look at the you time. That was gonna happen with you. You know, my first form of meditation was TM. For those that don't know that transcendental meditation and for those that are familiar with it, it's a mantra type meditation based on silently repeating a Sanskrit word that was created by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in India. I really loved your honesty and candor throughout the book. I just want to tell you, kudos to you. You just kept it coming and I was loving every minute of it. And how you told Lauren, your meditation teacher who you mentioned and that I know and who's wonderful, um, who's immersed himself in the study of Sanskrit for over 40 years that you also mentioned in the book. And you tell him, I hate Sanskrit. <laughs> And you're sick of all the yoga teachers that told you that you had to chant it while you meditated, even when you knew that they themselves didn't really know what they were talking about. I thought that was really great. And such an incredible, like talk about lifting the veils and you know the emperor's clothes, because there is so much projecting onto teachers, especially spiritual teachers and expecting a guru type relationship with them. And, um, I personally feel, I know this is going to maybe offend those, and I don't mean this in an offensive way. I think it went out with the 60s when the Beatles and others went to India to study with their own personal guru. No offense to those that need a guru, have a guru, or keep their deceased gurus in their hearts. But when Lauren told you to basically, we know what he said, mm -hmm. <laughs> say, screw it about the Sanskrit, and that the real point of meditation is to realize the guru is within you, how did, like, where did you go from there? Like, what aha moment did you mm. have? Because I was so bold and unbelievably blatant, honest about what you said. Oh, yeah, it was, that was the moment that sealed the deal for me that I was going to be a lifelong meditator. Because it was like the one thing that was so, I was like hidden in my shadow, even of like not wanting to admit that I was doing, and you know, in full transparency, like I actually love Sanskrit now and, and, but, and at the time I even liked it, but what I didn't like was this whole notion of like, just say it and just feel it. And it doesn't matter what it means. And it like has magic. I'm like, okay. So if you're telling me like the words have magic in them, but I don't even have to say them right <laughs> for that magic to occur. And you don't know what it means. And I don't know what it means, but I'm supposed to say this thing, like, what are you talking about? You know? And so when, when, when I said that to Lauren, I was nervous, you know, because I really thought that he was going to be like, okay, this guy is not for me because, you know, he's a scholar. And when he told me just, Justin, the real point is to realize the guru is within you. Screw the Sanskrit. Like, let's create a practice that is completely authentic to you. What is the energy that you need? Yes. You know? and, and can we take the preciousness off of this once and for all? You know, I, yeah. I just want to share this quick story. I remember once Please. going to uh, my eye doctor and he 
he was a meditator and somehow meditation came up in conversation. He knew that I started off with TM and that was, he said, you know, my, my parents were kind of hippies and they both were transcendental med meditators and they were walking down the beach one day and one of them asked the other, tell me your mantra, tell me your Sanskrit mantra. And his mother said, I can't tell you my Sanskrit mantra. And she said, you tell me your mantra. He said, I can't tell you my mantra. And they're walking on the beach basically saying they can't disclose that because it's a sacred mantra that as you know about TM, it's given to you. Yeah. And I never uttered my my mantra to anybody, by the way. Not that yeah. anybody cares, but I didn't because I felt this is my sacred mantra, which I want to lead into your whole philosophy around mantras. Turns out that they finally just ended up laughing. They told each other their mantra and it was the same mantra. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Like, hello? Same word. You know, no, my mantra. I can't tell you my mantra. Not to say you can't keep your mantra close and dear to your heart and never ever share it with anybody. That's not at all what I'm saying. But, you know, I love how you write that mantras believe in monogamy. You have wonderful ways in which you talk about this. So let's talk about mantras and, you know, what your thought is about a mantra. You know, I have a few thoughts about him. So, <clears throat> I love that story, by the way. I'm just like, I had a whole movie playing in my head about that because I've heard this story so many times of people who've done TM and different practices where they're hiding and hiding it. And then they found out like all their friends have the same mantra as them, but nobody wants to say it. And I'm like, I've heard this, this story so many times. And, you know, one of the things that I, um, this is what I'll say, is that what we've been taught to do in our wellness practice, particularly in like the, the real like colonization of our wellness practices, you know, and corporatization of our wellness practices is what we've been taught to do is to go outside of ourselves and ask someone else, hey, you person, guru, teacher, app, book, someone <laughs> who doesn't know me, can you tell me what I need to be well? Can you tell me? what I need. And then at the same time, we're told, you know, this kind of very memeable quote, well, you have the answers within. And so what I find that's always so fascinating is if like meditation is unbelievably simple. And if a lot of the apps or the teachers or the gurus or the whatever, like actually taught you how to find the answer within, you wouldn't need to subscribe to their model anymore. And, and I'm saying that with love because I'm on many apps and all of that. And I'm, not, I'm also not saying that it's not important to get teachers and gurus and go on apps, but I'm saying that the core root of your practice, you have the possibility to create a mantra and create a practice that is derived from yourself from the guru that's inside of you. And I find that when people are asked the right questions, and I think this will be a really fun practice to do with you all when it's time to do the practice, we can like test it out together, is to say, you know, we all know inside what we actually need to cultivate energetically to be well. And all we need sometimes is somebody to ask us the right questions to then know what it is that we need. And so in my book, and in all of my work, I never, ever, ever give anybody a mantra that they have to use. I help them self-generate their own mantra. And whether you choose to tell it to someone else or not is up to you. I give you some suggestions on that. 
but but I try to tell people to, how to self-generate their own. And that for me was the key to unlocking my meditation practice and, and really taking it to the next level for me. Absolutely. Do you, would you say that that is in alignment with what you call the unique energy signature? Exactly that. Mm -hmm. So explain to our listeners a little bit about that, you know, because I think you have some, some wonderful, you know, new refreshing ways to describe these things. Yeah. So ultimately this is the way that I look at a mantra, right? Like a mantra as we call, if we look at the Sanskrit, it means a tool of thought, right? A tool of thought. And so the tool that each of us need to use based upon what we're trying to do and who we are in our lives can be slightly different. And so one of the things that I ask people in the most simple of ways, if I just do this is here's who you are now. And then I ask you to think about who it is that you want to become. Who do you want to become? And, and you notice that there's a gap and everybody will have a different answer to this. If like, I say, who do you want to become? Everyone has their own answer. And so what I ask people ultimately that helps them define their unique energy signature, which is what becomes their mantra, is I say, here's who you are, here's who you want to become, here's the gap. What is the energy that you need to cultivate in your own life to fill that gap? And for some people to become who they want to be, they need, some people will say, I need confidence or I need love or I need safety, or I need peace, or I need power, or I need whatever. Everybody will say different words. And what I find that's so fascinating, and this is why I think apps and stuff get boring for people after a while, is if I came here and said, all right, everybody, we're gonna do a meditation on peace. Would it be harmful? Of course not. But if you're somebody who needs confidence or power to step into your own becoming, then a peace meditation consistently is gonna fall flat for you. Right. Because it's not unique to what your energy is needing to feed and fill you up with. And so what I do in the work is I guide people into finding out what their own personal unique energy signature is and then how to use that as their mantra in their meditation practice. Which is such a great way to sort of stay, again, to use that word authentic, you know, that you're, you know, it's like check with self. You're, you're really checking in with yourself and, and basically asking yourself, what is it that I need right now? Yeah. That's the beauty and the fluidity of that, that it isn't always going to be this one mantra, this one meditation, because you could wake up in the morning and feel something entirely different. And that app, as you said, or that guru or that particular teaching of meditation isn't really gonna answer your needs. So, you know, I agree with you that we are all energy healers. I really do, you know, and I want to ask you, Justin, what does being an energy healer mean to you? Mm, I love that. I don't know that anyone has ever asked me that question, ever. But it's me. <laughs> Thank you, Aura. That, I love, I'm, I'm so grateful for that question. I can clearly see that you are. Well, I see you, you know, we're seeing each other. And, and I think being an energy healer, this is, this is really what it is for me. It's about tapping into the source, to the authentic, true energy and helping other people unlock that energy in themselves. And it, so I don't think of it as like, here I am with like magic powers, like energy healing and like putting it on you. I think that like in my tapping in and letting the fullness of the energy move through me, it 
will allow other people's spirit or energy or whatever to awaken that space in them so that they can tap into a little bit more fully that source of creative energy. So I, I don't, just like with meditation, like I don't like to think of it as like, you know, me being an energy healer, like here I am the guru, like healing you. I think of like, how can I help you just through my actually being tapped into it authentically unlock so you can connect straight to that source right. yourself, right. you know? So that's, that's how I see it. It's like holding up a mirror, you know? Totally. Reflecting to others what they need to see within themselves, you know? Totally. That, you know, so that you can be that clear mirror source and then just reflecting the beauty of another soul. To That's me, it's it. the greatest gift about being an energy healer. So, okay, we literally have, what, six, seven minutes, and I want people to experience you and your freedom meditation, and I want you to leave us or, or mm -hmm. send us off, send our listeners off with something that you want to gift us today. Oh, thank you. Well, before we go, just so I can leave us in a, in a super heart-centered space, um, what I want to tell everybody is I'm going to guide us through a super short practice. And if you would like more, there's obviously my book, Stay Woke. Um, yes, but yes. Before we do that, I yes. do, because I know that the state of mind that will take everybody in. Yeah, I want to. You know, I want to, I do want to, I want people to know how to get a hold of you, how to connect with you. People get Justin's book. It is truly awesome. Uh, Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us. It is so fresh, so new, so completely what we need in this 21st century of demythicizing the old and bringing the new. So thank you. Thank yeah. you. And, and for people who, um, if you can't afford the book right now, or you, you know, that space, I have literally, I mean, like 70 or more free guided meditations up online. You can just go to my website, justinmichaelwilliams.com slash stay woke or just justinmichaelwilliams.com and, and you'll find you'll find me. I'm on Insight Timer. I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm easy to find and I'm here to support you all. So I want to leave us in just a really sweet space together. Um, so I'll do a short practice. Beautiful. Helping you just tap into what like a peekaboo of your unique energy signature might be even just for today. So go ahead and place your hands over your heart, one over the other. Take a deep, full breath in. Hold it at the top. And a long breath out. And just soften into your body 5% more. That's it. And I'm going to invite you into a short, short visualization with me. And I want you to remember that as we visualize, that some of us visualize by seeing images in our minds, but some of us, some of us don't visualize that way at all very well. Some of us visualize by hearing things in our minds. And some of us visualize by smelling or tasting or kinesthetically with our bodies touching or feeling with our emotions or a combination of them. So if I ask you to see something and you don't see it, you're not doing it wrong. Don't force it. If I ask you to hear something and you don't hear it, don't force it. Just notice what arises. All right, here we go. I want you to imagine a future version of yourself who is living the life of your dreams. 
You have the body you've always wanted. You're in the house you've always wanted. Your health is the way you've always wanted. Your money is the way you've always wanted. If this feels impossible, good. Because if we can't think beyond our current circumstances, how can we ever live beyond them? So let yourself go there. You can rub a magic lamp. Everything's possible. What do you see? And if you have multiple images kind of shuffling around, just let one bubble up to the surface and we'll dimensionalize it a little bit. As you look at this future version of you, I want you to notice, are you indoor or are you outdoor in the vision? Is there anybody there with you? What colors do you see? As you scan around yourself in the environment, notice what you can pick up, even if it's fuzzy or blurry or incomplete. Do you hear anything? Do you taste or smell anything? Do you feel anything, even a sensation or temperature on your skin? And how does it feel to be this future you living the life of your dreams? What's it feel like? And now I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to answer this question using the first one word that comes to your mind. Here's your question. As you look at this future version of yourself who's living the life of your dreams, what energy do you need to cultivate more of in your life now, today, to become that person that you're seeing in your vision? What energy do you need to cultivate more of in your life now to become that person? Trust the first word that arises. And then just for a moment, repeat that word in your mind a few times, whatever it is. And now on your inhales, I want you to breathe a little bit more deeply. And imagine when you inhale, you're inhaling the energy of those words. Like you're taking a shower in it or a bath in it. It could even turn into a color or a light or a texture. And imagine on each in-breath, the energy of those words are bathing and soothing you. And on each exhale, you're sending that same energy out to everyone you love and everyone who needs it. Do one more round of that, inhaling deeply the energy that you need and in relationship, reciprocally, offering that same energy out to the world. That's it. Take one more breath in and a breath out. And open your eyes when you're ready. Beautiful. So that's it. Everybody just transition as slowly and as delicately as you wish. You don't need to do something else right now. You can just be in the energy space that just so beautifully guided us in. 
Thank you, Justin, for being our guest today and spearheading a whole new level of freedom in meditation. Um, and thank you to our listeners for being here with Justin and I today. I hope that Justin inspired you to find your own freedom in meditation and that you will use that freedom as a way to liberate yourself in being the most authentic you possible. Until we meet again, stay safe, stay present, stay kind, and stay inclusive. <laughs>